It's such a great book in extolling the excellencies of Christ. But we'll begin with chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been encountered worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast to our our, our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And then over to chapter 5, picking up with verse 7, excuse me. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son... He learned obedience through what he suffered. And, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. So our purpose as the people of God, according to to 1 Peter, chapter 2, what we saw last week, our purpose as the body of Christ, our purpose as the church, as a new people, is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so that's what we're doing. We want to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus We want to focus on Jesus. We want to declare Jesus. We want to proclaim Jesus. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your circumstances, no matter your struggles, our call as the people of God is to proclaim Jesus, the excellencies of Christ. And by the excellencies of Christ, we're talking not just about who he is, being fully God and all the glory of God, but we're talking about his moral excellencies. What makes Jesus, as both fully God and fully, fully human, a superior human being? The qualities of Jesus that, that we can say, this is our Lord, this is the guy who we follow, this is the one who's fully man, who's fully God, who loved us so much that he gave himself for us, and we want to exalt him, and we want to celebrate him, because we want to emulate him. And it's really based on the reality that we will become like that which we admire. We will become like that which we focus on. We will become like that which we worship. And so if we honor Jesus and we celebrate his excellencies, the idea is that those excellencies will then come into us and we will begin to live our lives in such a way that bring glory and honor to Jesus and point people toward his excellencies. And that's our passion, and that's our hope, and that's what we're looking at in this series. And today we're looking at Christ the faithful. Last week we saw Christ the righteous, 
And this week we're seeing Christ the faithful. Because Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. And the writer to the Hebrews really celebrates that. We don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews. Uh, Initially, many people thought it was Paul. We're fairly certain it wasn't the Apostle Paul uh, because of the language that he uses. Uh, My favorite uh, candidate is Apollos, the great preacher of the faith uh, who was circulating around. Paul mentions him there in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians Uh, talks about Apollos, but it really doesn't matter because the writer here is celebrating Jesus and extolling Jesus, and we see in this passage the faithfulness of Jesus. Now the writer begins by identifying who Jesus is, and he says, okay, if, if you're saved, if you're a brother or sister in Christ, if you share in this heavenly calling, then what you need to do is consider Jesus. He's challenging us to focus on Jesus. He's, this word consider means to, to think about and contemplate and think about his life. Think about the way he lived. Think about who he is. Think about his qualities of life. Think about all the things that he did. Think about what he achieved. Think about who he is. Consider Jesus. And we consider Jesus because he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. In other words, he's the one that God sent. That means he's the apostle. God sent him to establish our confession, to establish our faith, to establish the new relationship that we can have with God through him. And he's also the high priest. In other words, Jesus came and he lived like one of us so that he could be a priest, he could stand before God on our behalf and be our representative before God. So the priest in the Old Testament was the guy who stood between God and the people to proclaim the ways of God to the people and also to offer up sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. And Jesus is our high priest because not only does he stand before God on our behalf, but as we saw last week, he became the propitiation for our sins, the the ultimate sacrifice for our sins so that we can have a restored relationship with God and our sins can be washed away. And so, so the writer here is saying, we need to consider him. Because this is who he is. And focus in on him. And we focus in on him as well because he was faithful. Jesus was faithful. And here he's faithful in two ways. He's faithful to him who appointed him. And he is faithful over God's house. Being faithful means that Jesus is steadfast. He is dependable. Jesus is worthy of our trust. Jesus is steady. Jesus doesn't change. Jesus persists and perseveres to accomplish everything that God has for him. Jesus is perfectly faithful. Perfectly faithful. And he's faithful in two primary ways. First and foremost, Jesus is faithful to the Father. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said, was perfectly in line with what God wanted him to do and wanted him to say. He says in the Gospel of John, I I only do what my Father's doing, I, I only say what my Father's saying. The idea with Jesus was that he was responsible to the Father 
And in everything he did, everything he did was a response to the initiative of his father. And Jesus carried out the will of his father. Jesus carried out the desires of his father. Jesus carried out even the wishes of his father to the utmost perfection. He was completely faithful to the father. That's why he never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He walked in that his entire life. And he was faithful because he was God's son. He was in that relationship, father-son relationship with the father. And so he walked that out. He wasn't any mere servant like Moses was. Moses was a servant in the household of God. But Jesus himself was a son walking in perfect faithfulness to his father. And then the writer tells us that Jesus is trustworthy, he's steadfast, he's faithful. In another way, he is faithful over God's house as a son. So in other words, Jesus first was faithful to God the Father, but second, Jesus is faithful to us. Because the writer goes on to say, we are God's house. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he rose from the dead, if you have faith in that, if you're in union with Christ Jesus, saved by grace through faith, you are part of the household of God. You are part of the family of God. You are part of the business of God. Jesus said, remember when he was 12 and he was in the temple and his parents came searching for him. He says, hey, don't, didn't you know I needed to be my, about my father's business? Didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? Didn't you know I needed to be doing what my father wanted me to do? And so Jesus is completely faithful to the father, but the writer is saying that Jesus is also faithful to the house. He's faithful to God's household. That means that Jesus is faithful to you as a son of God. Jesus is faithful to you as God's child. Jesus is faithful to you as a saint, as a holy one. Jesus is faithful to you. And because Jesus is faithful, that means you can trust him. He is worthy of your trust. Jesus is not one of these gods that will be happy with you for a while and be faithful to you as long as you're faithful to him. And then when he doesn't like you anymore or he gets tired of you, he'll just take you and squash you like a bug. He's not like some of these capricious gods that other people worship in the world where they don't know if they're going to get in at the end of the day. It all depends on what mood God, that God happens to be in on the day they die. If God's in a good mood, they go to heaven. If God's in a bad mood, they go to hell. Jesus is not that kind of God. Jesus is absolutely faithful to us. He's faithful to walk with us. He's faithful to be our advocate. He's faithful to be our savior. He's faithful to lead our lives. He's faithful to ensure that we walk in his ways. He's faithful to ensure that all things in our lives work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He is ultimately faithful, trustworthy, steadfast, dependable for our lives. Jesus is faithful. And we know that Jesus is faithful to us because Jesus first was faithful to the Father. And this is twofold dynamic that's going on with the faithfulness of Jesus. Jesus is faithful to his Father and Jesus is faithful to his brothers 
which is us. And women, your brothers as well. Jesus is faithful to his father and he's faithful to his siblings. And that twofold faithfulness is always, is a constant dynamic in Jesus. And we know that Jesus right now is seated next to the Father, always being faithful to intercede on our behalf. And Jesus, as the faithful Son in God's house, and so far I've talked about you as individuals, but being faithful over God's house means us together. It means Jesus is not only faithful over your life and worthy of your trust, he is faithful over our lives and over the entire household of God all around the world. Jesus will do what we need him to do. Jesus is faithful to to lead us and to guide us and to see that we accomplish what he wants us to accomplish, what is in the Father's heart, what is in in the Father's desire. Paul tells us that we're saved by grace through faith, and this faith is a gift from God, not by works, so no one can boast. But he goes on to say that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. This means that God has prepared things over your lives, and over our life together, and over the life of this church God has prepared things that as we walk with him, Jesus is faithful to make sure that those things are accomplished. As long as we cooperate. Jesus is faithful in every way. Paul goes on to say, he says, you know, if we are faithless, this is in Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. This is that reality. Jesus is faithful. Christ is faithful. That is his excellence. And we can celebrate that excellency of Jesus in his faithfulness. Because he will never not be faithful. He is always faithful. And nothing can change that. And we honor that and we worship Jesus because of that. And we can rest in Jesus because of that. Because ultimately, everything's about Jesus. Jesus is the builder of the house of God. Jesus is the founder of the house of God. Jesus is the one who establishes it. He's the one who builds it. He is the one who will bring us to our completion in Him. And He is faithful. The one who promised is faithful. And He will do this. And we rejoice in this and we celebrate the faithfulness of Christ. And it makes all the difference in how we live. And we can see that as we look here, as we turn over into into chapter 5, in that little passage we read in chapter 5. I mean, the writer does a few, uh, talks about a few other things. Uh, in the meantime, but we can ask a little bit. We say, okay, Christ is faithful. We know this. We understand this. He was faithful to God. He's faithful over God's house. That's us. We are God's house. He is faithful over us. So what difference does that make in the way that we live our lives? And the writer goes on to tell us there are three big things that are important for us to remember that are an outgrowth of the faithfulness of Jesus and have implications for how we live our lives faithfully before God. Verse 7 of chapter 5, he starts, In the days of his flesh, 
Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Notice how the writer to the Hebrews emphasized here in the days of his flesh. In other words, Jesus lived his life as a full human being. The writer really maintains that Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. That's a theme that goes throughout Hebrews. Jesus became like us so we can become like him. So Jesus lived his life exactly like we live our lives. Even though he was fully the son of God, that did not change. There was never a moment in time when Jesus was not fully God. That was always Jesus. From the moment he was incarnate uh, until for all eternity, Jesus is fully God. Fully God, but also fully human. And he lived his life in the days of his flesh as a full human being. He lived his life as we live our lives, except he was without sin. And he lived his life before God and over God's house in faithfulness. And there were three things that came out of that. As he lived his life as one of us, he prayed like we do. The writer's talking about through many prayers, many supplications. Prayer is a general word for prayer. It refers to worship. It refers to uh, meditation. It refers to silence before God. It's a real generic word for prayer. Uh, And then supplications uh, is, uh, basically supplications means, oh God, please help. That's essentially what supplication is. It's crying out to God for specific things that you need. And so Jesus, even though he was fully God, he lived his life as a full human being in faithfulness, and he cried out to God, he had to pray, he interacted with God in the same way that we interact with the Father, Jesus interacted with the Father. The difference is that when we interact with the Father now, we do so through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus enfolds us into his interaction with the Father. And so notice here, throughout his life on earth, he, he, he gave supplications, he gave, he gave prayers to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard. Now you might say, well, he, didn't he die on the cross? Can you say he was really heard? Yeah, he was heard because he rose from the dead. But he was heard because of his reverence. Notice he wasn't heard because he was God. He wasn't heard because he prayed the right prayer in the right way, although he did pray the right prayer in the right way. He heard because of his reverence. He heard because he was in a respectful relationship with the Father. And he continued in that relationship and faithfulness. And he continues to intercede for us in that relationship and faithfulness. And so it's a reminder to us that we are called to pray. Just like Jesus, we need to interact with the Father. Just like Jesus, we will have many prayers and many supplications that we bring to the Father. And we cannot think that we'll be heard because we pray the right prayer. 
How many times have I talked to Christians? I can't tell you because I can't, I've never counted them. How many times I've talked to Christians and say, well, I don't really know how to pray. I'm like, do you know how to talk? If you know how to talk, you know how to pray. And hearing some people talk, I really know they should be knowing how to pray a lot more than they do. Because they talk a lot. Now, if you know how to talk, you know how to pray. It's not about saying the right words. It's not about doing it the right way. It's simply by going before God with reverence, with piety, with devoutness, approaching the Father and understanding that you will be heard. A lot of times we go before God and we get desperate. You know, we're almost like, okay, God, if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to hold my breath. You know, you always lose that, right? Every time. No matter, uh, I'm tempted sometimes to try to hold God to ransom. Anybody ever done that? Just say, well, God, if you don't answer this prayer, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away. Or if you don't answer this prayer, I'm going to quit. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to quit. And God just sits, you know, and he laughs a little bit. Because he knows I won't do it. Because at least, I, I, maybe I used to do that when I was a kid, but right now I know that I'm going to lose And so if you know you're going to lose, don't fight the battle. Now, if you know you can't win, then just surrender. Especially when you're dealing with God. And so Jesus was heard because of his reverence, because of that honoring relationship with the Father that came out of his faithfulness. And it's a reminder to us that you're heard not because of the games you play, not because of how much you pray, not because of how much Bible you know. You're heard because of that position that you take before the Father, saying, Father, I honor you, and I want to walk in faithfulness to you. I want to live in the fear of you to honor you and to live for you and to love you all the days of my life. And that's how Jesus was responded to, and that's the encouragement for us. That's pretty good. I I like that. Uh, But it's the next next one that uh, everybody just doesn't like. Although he was a son, he learned obedience by what he suffered. It's amazing to me that I never get an amen anywhere in the world when I, I say that. You know, no, nobody says, oh yeah, please make me, I want to learn obedience the same way. But you know, the truth is, you do. Jesus himself, the sinless Son of God, this means he never disobeyed. So it, it never was a punishment. There never was a time when, when the Father said, well, Jesus, Son, you really messed up on this one, and so I'm going to make you suffer, I'm going to punish you, so you can learn to obey me. He didn't do it that way. He never sinned. That never happened. But even though he never sinned, Jesus, as the Son of God, who was faithful to his Father, still had to learn obedience. And he learned obedience by what he suffered. And that's true for us as well. We will learn obedience. We will learn to walk in faithfulness through the difficulties and the sufferings that we go through. I don't know why that is. But it's true, and it's true everywhere. It's true for all people in all cultures at all times. People learn to obey by what they suffer. They learn to obey by difficult times. And the encouragement here then is that 
we need to be faithful during the times of difficulty and the times of suffering so that we learn obedience. I realized, looking back on my life, there were many, many seasons where I went through really, really deep difficulty and suffering, uh, particularly at the hands of other people. Many, many seasons of my life, and, and none of them did I like. None of them did I say in the, in the midst of it, wow, I wish this would go on for 15 years instead of five minutes. I never did that. Nobody does that. But now looking back on it, I realize the things that I learned during those seasons, I never would have learned any other way. It doesn't mean that I want to go back to them, by the way. Jesus even teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation. That means lead us not into a time of testing and trial, but deliver us from the evil one. And that's what we should be praying. But the truth is, we learn obedience by what we suffer, but here is the tragedy in many Christians. Because they do not emulate the faithfulness of Jesus, they often quit in the midst of suffering before they learn the obedience. And I have seen Christians withdraw from a place of suffering just moments before I think they were about to have a breakthrough. I could see it in their lives. I could see what God was doing. I was so excited. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to encourage them. And they're like, keep going, keep going. You're almost there. You're almost there. You've just about made it. You've just about made it. And just when I think, ah, oh, they're going to cross the finish line, they quit the race. And sadly, I've seen this dozens of times. Dozens of times. And so many people, I don't think they lose their salvation but in, in many cases, but so many people, they don't get their inheritance. They don't get everything that God has for them because they refuse to learn obedience by what they suffer and they refuse to be faithful through the times of suffering. I have to be honest, there, there are many days when I want to quit. There are many days when I remember that life could be easier in a lot of places in the world. You all understand, there are a lot of easier places to live than London. And living in London and ministering in London and dealing with all kinds of the stuff that you deal with, sometimes it just makes me want to pull my hair out. It certainly turned my hair gray. No, but I'm not going to quit. I won't back down. I won't give up. Even if it kills me, I won't. Because I don't want to miss the breakthrough I believe is coming. I don't want to miss the outpouring. I want to learn obedience by what I suffer to get to a place where perhaps I learn obedience so well that I don't have to suffer anymore. And I think it's possible. I think it's possible to suffer less as we learn obedience more. But the only way that happens is if we consider Jesus and remain faithful to the Father and faithful in relationship to other people, just like Jesus did. See, there's a lot of people who want to remain faithful to the Father, but they don't want to remain faithful to their brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I can't tell you the number of people who say, well, I'm just following God. Uh, and God's leading me from this church to this church to this church to this church. And I'm thinking, well, God's not doing that. You're doing that. Your flesh is doing that. Your sinfulness is doing that. But it's certainly not God. No, but they don't listen. And so I've just, I've just learned to smile. And you know, sometimes the best you can do is just smile and, and nod. Say, yeah, yeah, okay. Whatever. I think God's probably leading you to another church now. Huh? That's the way it is. So we, we learn obedience by what we suffer. 
And then this last thing here that, that the writer, we can almost miss this. It says, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And the clue here is in this word, being made perfect, uh, or once made perfect. And the idea here, we think of perfection as something flawless. But actually this word means, it can, it can mean flawless in that sense. Uh, but also is a word that means complete or finished. In other words, if we walk in faithfulness, there will come a time where God completes or finishes different seasons of our lives. If we continue to focus on Jesus, just like with Jesus... The day came, Jesus died on the cross, and what did he say as he was dying? One of the seven last words of Christ was, it is finished. It is finished. It's complete. I've done what I'm supposed to do. And once Jesus had done faithfully what the Father had called him to do, the Father stepped in there, obviously, and then raised him from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven, sends the Holy Spirit and all the other things that happened there. That's what happened in Jesus' life. But for each of us, there are both seasons, I believe, that God finishes in our lives, that God completes in our lives, as well as completing the entire purpose or, or outgrowth of our life. Paul said, he said, I fought the fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. So Paul knew that there was, there was a time to finish with his life. But why did he Paul put Timothy in Ephesus? He put Timothy in Ephesus, he tells him, to complete the work there by appointing elders in every place. This is what God does. We go through seasons in our lives where God has a purpose, God has a plan, and he brings us to a place. And notice here, it's God that does this. It's not our work. It's not because we're really good. It's not because we really work extra hard. But God brings us to a place in those seasons where he completes the season in our life. Where he completes the work of a different points of time in our lives. And oftentimes in those seasons, it might be something we accomplish. Uh, it might be something that we do. It might be some purpose that God has for us. Uh, for example, this, this happened a few times in my life. In my last church, I knew that God completed a season, that God completed a purpose. There was a, a particular day in December of 2000 when I knew that I knew that I knew that God was finished with the purpose that he had for me in that last church. I knew it. I walked out of a meeting that I had and, and I just had this sense of release and I had this sense of it's finished, it's done. And we were dealing with some demonic principalities and powers in the county that we were in at the time. God defeated those, disarmed those through the cross. Uh, he, he did a work in the church to correct some long-standing 40-year uh, problems in the life of that fellowship. Uh, and he corrected those things. And, and then he said effectively to me, he said, Rod, okay, this time is, is finished. And it was at that point in time, it was actually right after that time, that City Temple called me. It was almost the, the same weekend, I think, that City Temple was having its church meeting here and where they said, oh, we think Rod should come and be the, the pastor of the church. And I hadn't candidated for that. I hadn't asked for that. But the Lord was moving in that. And we ended up coming here. And he finished the season. 
Now, I've been asking God, there have been several seasons here at City Temple that God has completed some works, and we've moved into another season. Now, thankfully, here at City Temple, it's not meant that we have to move on. We're hoping to hang out for a while. We're hoping to, to experience the joy and the benefits of some of the things that God has done. But we've gone through several seasons where God has spoken to us prophetically uh, or spoken to us uh, uh, circumstantially and says, okay, this is what you got to do. We complete that job. And God says, okay, that's done. That season is over. Now let's move into another season. And he does that not only in the life of a church, but he does that in your life as well. And we see that in the natural. Uh, we have quite a few young people here that pretty soon they'll be going to university probably. And, and so their time of education uh, in A-levels will be completed and they'll go to university. And there's a season there of preparation and training and they'll complete university and then they'll probably go into the job market and so on and so forth. And we all go through that. And God brings us to a place of completion. The key issue here is that you've got to stay in it. Well, what is that? You've got to stay in it to win it, right? Uh, you, you've got to stay walking in it to see the completion come. Many people re- do not remain faithful. They quit and they don't experience the completion of a season of your life. And the problem is, if you don't complete that season of your life, you'll do it again. And there are some Christians who spend their entire life in winter. Because they suddenly think it gets too cold and they want to move someplace warmer. And just as soon as they move someplace warmer, it gets cold. It's a bit like a person who's who's bouncing back and forth between England and Australia. Uh, And they start saying, oh... Well, you know, it, it's a little too cold for me now. It's about March. It's, I'm, still, I'm tired of the cold, so I'm going to Australia. Not thinking that, well, it's just about to get winter in Australia. Come and get a clue. And, and people do this. I've seen this time after time where they do not allow the season to be completed. And if you don't complete, if you don't allow God to complete that season in your life, you'll take it again. You'll go through it again. And you go through it until you come out on the other side. So be faithful. Be faithful in the season until God brings it to completion and God will make it clear to you that he's bringing it to completion. Sometimes that happens in a church. I've seen people bounce from church to church as I mentioned earlier. Uh, But sometimes I've seen people press in and hang in there and come to a point where God says, okay, your season at this church is done and I want you to move to another church because I want you to learn some more by what you're going to suffer in the new church. Uh, and that's usually what it is, by the way, so don't be too happy about changing churches. It usually means more suffering, but, uh, but that can happen. But if it's God, let me tell you, especially here at City Temple, if it's God, we will bless you in that, and we will help you discern that. Because our goal is not to hold on to people forever, because you don't belong to us, you belong to Jesus. And we understand that. But this is what says Jesus being made perfect. And for Jesus being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. In our seasons, when they're completed, God will bring a blessing to others through that completion. When your season is completed, or when your life is completed, when God brings it to completion, when God says it is finished, it will result in a blessing for others and perhaps also yourself. But not always. 
interestingly. So often we evaluate these things on our feeling of blessedness, but you can't do that. But the key is, when you're in a season, remain faithful until God brings it to completion, and then God will accomplish everything that he desires, just as he did in Jesus. That is the promise for us as well. And Jesus, who was faithful to the Father, and faithful is faithful to us, this same Jesus will continue to be faithful to us so that as we pray, He'll help us in interceding. As we go through our time of suffering, He will help us learn obedience. As we are going through our season, He will help us to be faithful until we come to the point of completion in that season to accomplish all that God desires. And Jesus does this because He is glorious. He is excellent. And he is worthy of all the glory and honor. So let's consider Jesus. Let's consider Jesus who is faithful to the Father and is faithful to us. And in considering Jesus, let us remain faithful as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the promise of Jesus, for Christ's faithfulness and the example that that is for us. I pray, Father, that you would stir us up. Maybe where we've been feeling discouraged in the season that we're in, I pray that you'd stir us up and and help us to begin to see the finish of that season and the good things that you want to bring about. Father, if if we are in a time of suffering and time of difficulty, help us to learn the obedience like Jesus did as a son by what we suffer. So the suffering might end and we might walk in that obedience. Father, encourage us as we remain faithful in our prayers that you hear us and that you are responding to us. And Father, I pray that when we're tempted to give up, when we're tempted to quit, when we're tempted to back down, that you'd help us to remember the faithfulness of Jesus one of the excellencies of Christ. And in considering that faithfulness, we too might remain faithful to the glory and honor of Jesus. For we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.